Uh, there's so much prejudice. So much prejudice. If you if you're a belly dancer, there's a prejudice. If you're a physicist, woman in physics, there's a prejudice, and it's crazy. It was a crazy journey for me to see how people can behave to me differently uh, based on what I tell them what I do. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with belly dance, welcome to the Belly Dance Life podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of belly dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Belly Dance Live podcast. Can you believe that this is last few weeks of 2020? Oh my God, what a challenging and unexpected and weird this year was. And I think I will tell this for everyone. <laughs> I actually think it's worldwide energy right now going on that everyone is waiting for this year to end and have a huge hopes that next 2021 will be much smoother, calmer and much more uplifting in many different senses. <laughs> but in any case, I congratulate everyone with upcoming holidays and wish you all the best. Have fun and spend time with your family and friends. But at the same time, don't forget to stay safe and healthy and make sure that you are protecting yourself as well as your beloved ones because our health is definitely our priority. Not only as people in general, but especially as dancers, right? At the same time, one thing that I know definitely will contribute to your mental or at least emotional health is this conversation. Oh my god, it was so cool and so inspiring and I'm so happy to feature our amazing today's guest Badria on the podcast. I think it's one of the most appropriate conversations <laughs> for the end of the year. Badria is a professional oriental dancer devoted mainly to Egyptian classical and folklore styles, modern fusion with oriental dance and the golden age of ballet dance. She teaches regular classes at Schuna Dance Center in Belgium and travels around Europe to give workshops and lectures. Her dream is to build a real belly dance museum. As a start, she collects vintage belly dance items such as newspapers, magazines, postcards, uh, press photos depicting belly dances from 1700s to 1970s and she already collected over 300 items in her treasure collection. Also, Badria spent 10 years of performing with Belly Dance Evolution touring all around the world. She also created three educational programs, contributed as an editor to Orient Express magazine and taught workshops and lectures worldwide. Along with her belly dance career, she's also a successful astrophysicist. And in this interview, we definitely talked about such an unusual combination and all stereotypes and uh, social assumptions about uh, women in different professions. But of course, we also talked about Golden Era, about her amazing collection and the dream of Baladin's Museum and how everything started. This was such a fun and interesting story. But the reason why I thought it's one of the best options for the end of the year conversations was just to remind everyone to listen more often to our inner inner intuition or maybe call of universe or whoever, however you want to perceive it, but be not only open-minded, but uh, let's say soul-opened too, <laughs> if I can put it this way, and listen to your true dreams, some that you may not even realize yet, and just feel and go towards your goals and towards your wishes, true ones, the ones that you really uh, want and hopefully you'll take some 
steps towards them in 2021 and it's never too late to start so start right now <laughs> and on this note let's start our interview hello dear badria welcome to the podcast and so happy to feature you today on our episode <laughs> hi anna it's very lovely for me to be here thank you very much for the invitation well, also right away, congratulations. I already said, but I'll repeat again, congratulations on recent addition to your family. It's such a huge event. And um, I'm very excited at some point during this interview also to maybe chat a little bit about your experience of uh, being pregnant and dancing. But first, I would love to start from the very beginning <laughs> so we can <laughs> gradually come to that stage of your dance life. But uh, for the very beginning, do you remember your first encounter with ballet dance uh, that caught your attention? And what kind of thoughts uh, did you have if you remember them? Oh, definitely, I do. So it was uh, in high school. I was about 17, 18 years old. And uh, some of my friends, they did this um, show class of belly dance in our physical education class. So there was just one hour, these two young girls just showing some um, basic elements of belly dance. And I really liked it a lot. That was the first, first, first contact. But then I remember walking uh, just in the streets. I was, uh, I think I was going to my flute lessons when I saw a flyer, belly dance classes. And I was thinking like, that sounds uh, good to me. I can I can try because in that time, um, in high school, I was more like well, my uh, mates uh, classmates were telling me that I'm more like a boy than a girl because I loved physics, I loved mathematics, and I loved jazz and a rock music. So they were constantly like that I'm more like a boy. And when I saw this flyer, I was like, okay, I'm going to show you that I'm a girl. So there was this <laughs> crazy thinking of teenage girl, of course. So I went to this class and I remember it was in this terrible building. It was a, it was some kind of school. It was this 80s, um, because I'm from the Czech Republic, so it was, it was this communistic era style architecture, you know. It was <laughs> horrible and it was somewhere in the cellar. And I went down, there was complete darkness, but I saw this door and a bit of light coming from the from the bottom and some ringing of coins. And I was thinking like, ah, oh, that must be the belly dance class. And I remember when I opened the door, there was suddenly this warmth, a really nice smell, lovely women smiling, still the coins jingling and uh, clinging. And there was one thought which went through my mind and it was, I'm going to do this. Like, like seriously, it was like, I'm going to, this will be my world. I'm going to teach it. I never danced that time back then, but I was already like, I'm going to teach it. I'm going to, ha, huh. there was this crazy moment when I entered and yeah, it was lovely. It was, uh, there was the first step, but of course we were dancing to weird kind of music. It was not even Egyptian or, or any, kind of oriental music sometimes we were dancing to a Lorena and other <laughs> other music but it was the first step yeah hmm. so cool it's interesting then you were describing the building and then you went in it totally reminded me my very first class because it was also in some beaten up area I don't know we had to go through some uh inner like yards or in between buildings passages but there are some destroyed buildings and every time in the evenings i was going there and i started in the winter so it was really dark early getting and every time i was passing i was like had the feeling that it's like after a war it's like bombarded like like where are you going and then you go like and then inside the building it's all nice and warm <laughs> but yeah it's so so fun <laughs> <laughs> Since you started already from the first minutes, basically of your belly dance class, with so much passion and it, but you didn't know anything about belly dance back then, like pretty much. And uh, um, 
back in those times it was very often mixed like really Egyptian, not Egyptian, different music, etc. When your interest in golden era appeared, because this is pretty much history, like digging deep, you already need to get to the point you really want to know the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that was actually, it was gradual. Uh, it was not falling in love in Golden Era and doing it right away. It was small, mostly, uh, as I was teaching back in Czech Republic, uh, a lot of dance classes and workshops, I was interested, of course, what is the history? And I tried to search a little bit, but still there were not many, not, not much information on the, uh, on the internet. But I tried my best. And I I was um, to to understand the movement. You have to watch a lot of videos. And at one point, I found myself in the bed watching golden era videos in my free time, uh, just as a relaxation. It was really like it was evening. I had a free evening. I was like, okay, let's lie in the bed and let's watch some golden era clips. And I found out that I actually love it <laughs> to watch it and. And everything from the movies. So I slowly started to learn the movement, try it by myself, because no one can uh, teach you from back those days. I'm not talking about 40s, 1940s, 1950s. Uh, no one can just, uh, Samia Gamal will not come to you and teach uh, you her style. So I just learned myself with mistakes and copying and trying and uh, trying to get something for myself from it as well, yeah. But it was yeah. <laughs> years later or pretty much in the first few years of your ballet dance training? Uh, yeah, definitely. It's, so I'm dancing now, I think 14 years is it is, or 15, something like that. And I think it was about five, six years after doing some ballet dance, or five years after, yeah. So now it's nearly 10 years. I'm, paying attention to golden era. Uh, but it's more visible lately uh, because I started to give it out as well, uh, way more. And it uh, came with this uh, moment when I realized that I am I'm, I'm trying to push myself to dance like uh, what people want to see. So there was one moment in my life when I realized I'm, I'm just trying to do all these crazy things in the choreographies and doing crazy technique. And I didn't feel myself in the dance. And then I said, okay, just stop. This is not you. Just do what you love because I have the possibility to do it. I have another job next to belly dance. So I don't have to, it's, it's not my living. I don't earn money for living by belly dancing. It's really my love, passion. Of course, I earn money from teaching workshops, but it's not my life uh, uh, job, that my life is dependent on this job. So I decided to do more of Golden Era and then uh, it bloomed. And I'm very happy that it bloomed. <laughs> and the, in the first uh, few years of belly dance before you, probably got into golden era and all its femininity and elegance. So uh, did those uh, ballet dance classes had any effect on your classmates who thought you were like more like a boy? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, then uh, I, it, it, the same year I started ballet dancing, uh, we were having maturita. I'm not sure if you have it as well. It's like the final exams and then you go to university. So then I didn't see my classmates anymore that much, uh, <laughs> but definitely it changed me a lot. Um, I still love rock. I still love physics. Actually, I went to study astrophysics to university, so that's the same. But I discovered a new new me who loved to dance, who loved to listen to music and explore it and uh, give it away through dance. Hmm. I see. Well, but it's still interesting. Like it's sometimes uh, um, it's tricky, like this uh, society pressure, let's say, like serious or not serious, joking or not joking. It's of course has a lot of uh, 
not that positive things very often, but sometimes it pushes us to open something new to ourselves <laughs> and kind of like go to some discoveries and uh, do it. Eventually, it transforms something to, for really for ourselves. <laughs> indeed, indeed, I absolutely agree. And now uh, with the with the social pressure, as you mentioned, uh, there's so much prejudice. So much prejudice. If you if you're a belly dancer. There is a prejudice. If you're a physicist, woman in physics, there is a prejudice. And it's crazy. It was a crazy journey for me to see how people can behave to me differently uh, based on what I tell them what I do. So whenever I say I'm a belly dancer, because it is still my profession, side profession, um, sometimes people are like, ah, so you're shaking your butt. I'm sure that you heard it too, and plenty of dancers as well, like this comment. When I say that I'm an astrophysicist, then people are um, reacting in a way that, oh, but you're a woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> like a woman cannot do physics, you know? And it's completely uh, confusing because if I do dancing, that's okay, I must be seducive and uh, sed I don't know how to say it in English, seductive or, or being sensual. When I say that I'm a physicist, it's strange because I'm a woman. So it's it's pretty confusing for me to still figure it out uh, that people don't judge me <laughs> and just take me as I am. And it doesn't matter what kind of job I do, right? So that's uh, pretty strange. <laughs> and what is people's reaction when you tell that you're astrophysicist and ballet dancer? It depends in what order I say. So, ah. <laughs> yeah. Or if they meet me as a belly dancer, they are talking to me in a one way. And then when they figure out that I uh, work at the Institute and I do something with space physics, they are suddenly treating me like with more respect. Unfortunately, like, I'm, I mean, not unfortunately for me, but in general, it's pretty sad that I earned the respect by doing the physics and not by really going deep into some uh, art form. And the opposite reaction when I am a, a physicist uh, or astrophysicist and some of my colleagues or people at a conference find out that I'm a belly dancer, is disgusting, honestly. It's, oh, it happened to me once we were in a conference and um, we were in a circle of physicists and we were talking, discussing some interesting matter and um, I was uh, saying something about my research and one of my colleagues I don't understand why but he suddenly just interrupted me and he said by the way do you know everybody that Lenka is oh, my normal name is Lenka is also a belly dancer and in that moment you, you should see the change in the faces of people some people were like oh wow because they maybe don't have prejudice some um, female uh, physicists immediately looked at me like I was a prostitute. <laughs> um, and even though, like, uh, yeah. And the men, some, some of the male colleagues, they were immediately, ah, wonderful, so you can do some private dance for us this evening. It was just a complete difference. Uh, ah, yeah. <laughs> ah, it's that's crazy. terrible. Yeah, yeah. Well, I know for me, I even notice difference when as a ballet dancer, then you go to gigs alone or if I was going to gigs with my husband. And not that in terms of it's my husband, I was not going around and say, oh, it's my husband, it's just like a guy accompanies me, like I'll say I'm the assistant or my photographer or someone or agent, manager, like if I need any explanation. Usually I just say like, oh, some assistant will come with me and then they see on spot uh, it's like man. But the difference, and I'm talking about like Toronto, very multicultural, very open society in terms of like empowering women, etc. But still there was a difference if I was going alone or there was a guy accompanying me. It's uh, interesting like to see even in the same, like, let's say, persona like I'm a ballet dancer I'm not switching like professions but still there is a difference about surroundings that are around you and it's super sad to hear that just because of profession people 
start treating differently. The same person on the same spot, just because they figure out, oh, she's doing something additional to that too. That's crazy because the person is the same still in front of them, the same person. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's crazy. It's um and it's uh, interesting to hear that there is a difference if you go with your husband or not. It's just it feels like people judge constantly and based on their own experience and their own fantasies, let's say. So whatever you do, whatever who yeah, whatever you do, people judge you kind of immediately according to their own ideas. And that's unfortunately how how we work it seems uh, as people in society and it can sometimes it can get um, very bad <laughs> terribly bad I, I think with with some hateful comments and so on but yeah but I think people first of all judge themselves for something and then they just project it on someone else who yeah. probably allowed something that they don't allow themselves to do <laughs> or yeah. think or do yeah, you're or right. be or feel well, coming back to the dance topic, <laughs> I mean, this is also dance topic, but uh, I, of course, want to dig a little bit into golden era uh, topic. So you mentioned that you discovered golden era videos on uh, YouTube, probably like back then already. Uh, and you were scrolling your phone and you were excited in the evenings to let's go watch like golden era videos. But the term golden era was it introduced to you by some teacher or you kind of discovered it through the videos? And how did you discover what is golden era at all? Not just the dancers who appear there, but the term itself. Uh, okay, I see. Well, uh, I heard the term golden era for the first time from my teachers when I was studying uh, just dance uh, in the beginning. She mentioned something about Casino Opera and something about Samia Gamal. And back then, that there was a golden era of uh, culture, music, and dance in Egypt. But there was no, not much more information. So I first heard it from my teacher. And, but, but then, honestly, to discover what golden era really means, it's until now, I'm constantly uh, thinking how to define that era. And, and so on but first it was uh, definitely my, my teacher and then I started to search uh, for more information and what is your most recent definition of golden era I know it's still in search in progress <laughs> but still like uh, for someone who may be listening to us and have no idea what we are talking about indeed uh, yeah, yeah I understand uh, so through what my research shows me uh there can be different definitions, of course, but what we normally understand uh, as a golden era of belly dance, as belly dancers, is time period when um, the, let's say, belly dancer, I should be more correct, Raksharki, was way more approachable or seen between uh, normal people in Egypt. I mean, even people from lower classes. And it's started around the transition between 19th and 20th century. And let's say it ended around 1970s where there were way more regulations and the dance was uh, pushed a little bit down by regulations. Yeah, let's say, uh, let's say it like this. It's way more to be said about uh, the, let's say the end of golden era. Of course, the Raksharki was still present uh, in Egypt, but that's for a lecture. <laughs> to explain all the, all the things. So I usually say it starts around 1900 and goes until 1970s, but it's not just a normal line. It's a, it's a curve and there is a peak where it was really like this beautiful boom. And I say that the peak was around 1930s, 1940s, 1950s. So around there with the 40s to be on the top. And the reason behind it is that it was a spread of cabarets uh, and theaters and places where dancers could perform Raksharki. So Raksharki um, started in the 1900s where the theaters and stages were built in Cairo and the dancers suddenly had stage where to dance. Until then they were dancing on social events like Mawalid um, or um, 
uh, or weddings, of course, which continued, but suddenly because of these theaters, they could dance uh, on stages. And that's where Rakshaki started to be formed. And in those 1930s, 1940s years, uh, not only that there were these huge cabarets and theaters, there was also Rakshaki movies. And like what we know now, Samir Gamal, Saheya, and, and so on. And these movies were um, possible to be seen by people, not only from middle class, but also from the lower classes. Uh, they were not, it seems that the entrance fees were not that uh, expensive. So, so yeah, that was, uh, that was the peak of golden era. So when I say, <laughs> you think that is too, very long uh, definition, but what I say, what golden era is, it's either the big curve from 90s, 1900s, 1970s, with the peak around 1930s, 40s, 50s, where for me is the like the core of golden mm. era. You mentioned that during the golden era, uh, Raksharki was more widely spread about among the regular people, not just among like professional ballet dancers. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay, I, thanks for mentioning this. I need to clarify this. I mean that they uh, could see it in the cinema. That's what I mean, that they could see it as a Raksharki uh, performance in the, cinema, in the cinema, in the movies, or they could go uh, to a cafe to see a dancer performing Raksharki. However, um, because through the research of Nisa, she showed that uh, the entrance fees to different theaters and cabarets was not that high. So even persons from lower class could go inside and and, and see performers uh, doing Rakshaki. Sometimes the entrances were even for free. Uh, however, these people from lower classes, if they would witness um, dance, it would be also a Walim dance style through weddings. Or if they would be out of the cities, uh, somewhere, let's say, in the south of Egypt, they could see Gawazi dancers. So this is actually a very interesting thing because uh, the Raksharki dance style was uh, visible for people for all classes, uh, kind, of from its, kind of from its beginning, slowly, yeah. But it's interesting to see what the what Awalim dancers are saying about Raksharki dancers, because for them it was... Uh, it was something new which was coming. They felt that they were doing the traditional dance, the real dance. And then something was happening in those clubs where they were using the same dance vocabulary and similar songs, but they were doing something else. And especially those stars, those movie stars in those movies, what they are doing is pretty, but that's not the traditional style. That was what they were feeling or thinking. Um, this you can, or the listeners, if you want to learn more, there is this book, uh, Trade Like Any Other, by uh, uh, Van Neukerk, uh, and she describes it very well there. So it's pretty interesting because uh, the, the generation of Awalim or, or the Awalim dancers were not very happy what was happening in the club of this new dance coming up. And you can see it nowadays as well. Like the generation who, which is doing Rakshaki right now is very much against what's happening in the nightclubs in Cairo scene right now. But that's how it is. That's the change, that's the evolution. So the past is repeating itself. Pretty interesting to see it. <laughs> yeah, and we are right now in the middle of this kind of like change and who knows in which direction it will go. Uh, but uh, I got really curious about um, Avalim style because I know you studied it in general, like separately. But as ballet dancers, I'm talking about festival ballet dance community. We are very much into Baladi. We are very much into Shabi, uh, Gawazi, like Saidi, all folkloric styles. But Avalim style is not really becomes the same, let's say, not mainstream, but the same level as like, let's say, Baladi or Shabi or Saidi. We don't talk about this style of dancing that much in Baladi's community. Why do you think it is? That's a very interesting question. Okay, so 
th this is my personal view. Um, maybe it would be necessary some discussion. But Awalim, first of all, is the, the style was not that easily uh, reachable for Westerners. So Awalim, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I maybe will go in too much into the history, but no the word Awalim, <laughs> the word Awalim meant something else in 18th century, something else uh, in the 19th century, and something else in the beginning of 20th century. Um, I'm not going to explain everything right now, but let's say, let's talk about the beginning of 20th century. Awalim were still groups of women, uh, entertainers who were performing at weddings in that time period. And that style, that dancing, if, if you imagine yourself to be in 1910 as a traveler from, from Western world, you wouldn't see Awalim dancers performing. They were performing at Egyptian weddings. You wouldn't be invited to that wedding usually as a traveler. What you as a traveler could see is those dancers dancing in theaters and cabarets already in, that, in those years where you can pay a fee and trends and you could see actually Raksharki. So first of all, the Awalim dance style was not seen uh, by Westerners. And nowadays as, as a belly dance community, um, we can only reconstruct how Awalim used to dance in that time because Awalim kind of don't exist anymore. The profession of dancing at weddings, of course, it still exists, but the dance style, that's not Awalim anymore. That's, that's more of like Raksharki and mixture of modern dance and, 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 and different kind of dancing. And of course, it depends what class wedding we are talking about. So. Upper class wedding, you, you would see more uh, foreign dancers, uh, foreign belly dancers. Lower class wedding, you would see Egyptian dancers dancing some kind of, I would say, probably baladi kind of style. And um, so the awalim, uh, you have to reconstruct. It's difficult to be reconstructed because we have some descriptions from 1910s and so on, how the dance looked like, the first Raksharki, how it looked like. Because we can assume that the first Raksharki was very similar to Awalim dance style. Because usually the uh, you can imagine uh, the dancers in Cairo, you work at a wedding, but then suddenly there is a new cabaret to, uh, to be open and they ask you, can you dance there as well? So some of the Awalim dancers probably did both. Although we know that they were sometimes very like rejecting the, the dancers in the cabaret, uh, the Awalim. But in those times, it was very mixed. So we can only reconstruct how the early Raksharki looked, and it might have been similar to Awalim and also Gawazi dance style from that time period. But of course, the evolution goes, and Gawazi also changed. We uh, consider most of the time Banad Mazim as the Gawazi dance style because it kind of survived, but also it evolved uh, kind of, but it still gets the, the similar movement elements as in the past and there are plenty of um proof not only the word descriptions but we have some videos of kawazi dancers from 1930s uh i say some we have one <laughs> <laughs> and but but we can kind of reconstruct it and there are dancers who do the reconstruction like nisa or shiny they do these reconstructions and why it's not so much taught in the belly dance community um i don't know maybe because it was not because it's not interesting i guess um I, and now i see that there is more interest to go more into the theory and into the past and then dancers like to search for the for the answers and there are classes on our wedding but it it takes time you have to reconstruct the dance and our wedding kind of ended around 1940s as a groups of women and they separated into individuals so of course there were still some awalim in 1990s you could uh, you could find some old type dancers but they were kind of pushed out with the new raksharki dancers uh, at the wedding because it was easier not to pay the whole group of dancers but just one performer and usually those were raksharki dancers because it was it was popular. That was 
in the cinema, Samia Gamal was doing that, so they wanted it on their wedding, the upper class, of course, so or middle class. So that's why I think the Awanim is not that uh, popular, uh, but I think it's getting better. <laughs> it's getting better. Yeah, going back to history, but we also see how history repeats itself. Like back then, for people, it was start getting easier to hire just one dancer instead of group dancers. Now we see the same, but with musicians and bands and orchestras, especially post-COVID, like this renewed activities more and more event planners and managers they are for them it's much easier to deal just with dancing and pre-recorded music rather than uh, organizing the whole orchestra so another tendency or fashion or history hook that repeats and hopefully it will not uh, disappear completely like avalim <laughs> groups but yeah. it's interesting to see the repeating trend in terms of golden era, your research and your interest and passion, what aspect of golden era time or style fascinates you the most that you think dancers are not appreciating it enough or not digging into that aspect of golden era enough? Hmm. Um, okay, so I think... Uh, well, my answer will be a bit strange, probably, but uh, it's it's a very simple thing, which is obvious through all the Golden Era videos. And I want to point out that that's, that's the main message to take from studying Golden Era. Um, I don't say that everybody has to study Golden Era, but if you want to learn something for your own belly dance, for your own personal style, that is it. And that's musicality and listening to music. Um, that's for me the, the most important because I don't say that the golden era dancers interpreted every little note they hear. No, that, that didn't happen. <laughs> but they were listening and enjoying the music and reacting to, to the music in the fashion they liked. There was no precise step-by-step photography. There were choreographers. There were choreographies in the sense that when you're performing in a movie, you have to know if you have to go to the right to interact with that actor or you have to walk the stairs. That was the choreography for sure. And if you had backup dancers, you had to somehow synchronize with them. So like the overall choreography, the spacing for sure was there. But what it seems uh, is that the dancers in between, they were still improvising. And that's, uh, I think, the main message. Still give yourself uh, time to improvise and enjoy the music. Because nowadays what I see dancers are really going for the choreography, 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 and forgetting that it starts with the music. It starts with music, listening, feeling, and then performing and dancing. And I, I got it at one workshop that people wanted a choreography, golden era choreography. And I'm like, well, that's not the point, right? To do choreography. It's uh, to learn that aesthetics was different, that movements were different, and also enjoying and listening to the music was different. And that's an aspect I want to like uh, lift up a little bit. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so it's this combination of choreography and improvisation. Basically, it's a structured uh, improvisation, let's say. <laughs> Indeed, indeed. Uh, uh, structured improvisation, uh, although there were dancers who did choreograph step by step uh, already that time, like Naima Akev, it seems some of her choreographies were really step by step. Um, and if you dance in a troupe, of course, it has to be choreographed. So the choreography was there, but still the improvisation played a big role. Hmm. You also, uh, with time, start uh, collecting things related to golden era. Start, and, uh, of course, one of your uh, famous um, achievements is the huge collection, one of the biggest collections definitely related to the golden era uh, style of vintage like items, photos. So how everything started... And when did you realize that, oh, it's growing into 
something like really like you know unique and uh, important such as like the huge collection mm-hmm. uh, well it started um, very strangely and uh, i think 2013 i was uh, with the evolution in japan and jelena was selling one of her costumes <laughs> and i that, that costume was the costume in which she performed in Prague, where I saw her for the first time. And my life really changed with, with her because she gave me such a big motivation in continuing dancing that when she entered the stage, I cried. Seriously, I was just crying seeing her dancing. And afterwards, I was uh, with her for many, many years. It's already more than 10 years. I'm uh, trying to, well... I cooperate with her in BD. And then in Japan, she was selling that costume and I bought it, of course. And when I held it in my hands, I was like, oh, wow, this will be one day, long future, this will be my first item in Belladon's museum. This just, just, just a thought, you know, it just went through my head like that. And then I let it go, this, uh, this thought away. And uh, after, after that, I, um, yeah, my... <laughs> My husband was asking me what I want for Christmas. <laughs> and I was like, well, something golden era related. And then I started to search and then I found out that they are, I think on eBay, they were selling this, um, it's called, um, how is it called? Um, well, it's a card uh, they use in cinema. So when you went to see a movie, there was a, there were these, uh, yes, it was um, uh, some, like poster, but more like sticker and in a in a card, and I just I just completely forgot the name. I see it right now that uh, <laughs> object, but it's just a card with a scene from the movie, so you could see all the scenes already. And I was like, oh, I would like to have it, and so I sent him the link, and he bought it. And I under the Christmas tree there was this, and when I held it in my hand, I was like wow, this is original. This is from 1954. And there's some Yagamal on it. And I was like, oh, shaking, of course. Oh, this is beautiful. And then it was not gradual. It was just exponential. I was just going into <laughs> on eBay and other um, auction places. And I just got crazy. And I just started to search. And I put all my earnings kind of into it. Of course, I still paid the rent and everything, but it was before my wedding and I really was supposed to save money for the wedding, but my husband still doesn't know how much I spent on the items. They're pretty expensive and also the time I spent searching for the items, it's, it, uh, it's crazy. And then, of course, I found some sellers uh, to uh, which I, who I contacted personally and they started to search for me. I have one... Uh, I can say now a good friend in Egypt who, who does uh, search directly there in Cairo for me. So, yeah, that's how it started. And uh, it's huge. It's uh, more than 400 items I have right now here. And I have even a billboard. Uh, like, I'm sometimes just thinking, oh, why? <laughs> but then I see it and I, I just feel like this is such an important item to have. I have a billboard with Samia Gamal. It's bigger than our living room, but one day, one day it will be in real Belladance Museum. So that's my dream. And um, yeah, hopefully it will become true. So, so once uh, I reached around 100 items, I think, I realized that this is getting bigger and bigger. And I felt like I don't want to keep it just for myself because, yeah, I, I love to just swim in it. Of course, I'm not swimming in it because it's very rare and fragile. But... I was thinking like this has to go out. People have have to have to see it. Uh, belly dancers have to see. It. So therefore, I started this online belly dance museum, and I started to give the items there, uh, post them post them there online, so everybody can see it. But it takes time, and uh, yeah, <laughs> not everything is there yet. Just like one fifth or one fourth is there. Oh wow. <laughs> What is your favorite item among your whole collection? Yeah. Uh, so there is one item which I think is very rare. 
uh, and it's a photograph signed by Samia Gabal. So, yes. <laughs> so that's super rare, and I am very happy to have it. Uh, so that's that's uh, something I really like. But from the but like a favorite item right now, I'm I'm sorry, I'm just looking around myself. Which is really my, it's oh, it's, this is difficult to say. Like, I have here a drawing from 1737. Uh, the print was done, seven, the drawing was done 1737, and I have the print of it, uh, engraving. So that's uh, pretty nice. Ah, yes, I have my favorite. I, I got them a month ago. And these are original photos by Leke Hian, who uh, took photos of dancers in 1880s in Egypt and it's possible that on one of the photos is Shafika al Koptia, the famous uh, dancer and it's the original photo of course uh, it's not the it's not the negative or, or what they use but it's one of the original prints from that time from 1880 and it's huge it's like it's like this uh, okay the listeners cannot see me doing it but it's like a4 a4 it's really nice, so I should post them on in the museum soon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so cool. And you go basically beyond even golden era. It's uh, yeah, like this vintage. Yeah, vintage. Like yeah, that's so cool and so amazing that you are collecting these items together in one place. It's. Uh, I know it may feel for someone like a waste of time and money. <laughs> and of course, it's probably your budget, like your budget feels it. But I definitely, with 100%, can say that it's such a huge input in uh, history of uh, ballet dance and future generations to see it all together. And I'm pretty sure one day they can see it live. <laughs> somewhere all together it's gonna be a mecca of vintage ballet dance and um, <laughs> yeah. oh yeah it's like a must visit place for all ballet dancers not only will be cairo now but also the <laughs> museum <laughs> of vintage stuff but even now online the fact that you're posting and sharing stuff and uh, that's absolutely amazing and uh, such a huge uh, source of uh, documented history so thank you for doing this <laughs> thank you very much i i have to mention that there are also um other dancers who are collecting and have really nice items which my belly dance region would be very interested to have it <laughs> but uh but uh, there are also uh like sahara saida has a huge collection as well nisa has a huge collection um However, I, I really hope, as you said, that there will be a real ballet dance meeting where people can can really go in and enjoy. For example, I have this um, I have these items from 1890s. It's Pharaoh of Youth. So you have two dancers. Oh, sorry, it's one dancer. It looks like the same photo, and there are two of them next to each other. But it's actually vintage 3D photography, and indeed. It's it's crazy. So you 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 have to have this stereoscope. Uh, am I correct? Yeah, stereoscope. It's a wooden uh, structure where you place the stereo view, the, the this card with those two images, and you look through it and you see it in 3D. It's mind blowing. When I I, I have it, uh, the stereoscope from 19th century as well, so it's in the in the theme. And when I looked. Uh, onto this picture of Gavazi dancer from that time, from 1896, and I saw her in 3D. Like <laughs> I was, I, I I think I cried a bit. I'm very trifle, so I probably I cried. Um, and uh, actually, I really wish everybody can see it. So I went to to that extent that um, I was connected. I was contacted by 3D community to do a little lecture about. A uh, little talk about uh, these stereo views for them, and I met people uh, who were very happy to help me to transfer these vintage 3D images into 3D images you can see on your screen. Mm -hmm. You just need these uh, red blue uh, glasses, which you can buy cheaply on uh, internet. So we did it. Well, um, uh, I go.
uh, big help from Jan Ferenc. He did this, he combined these pictures and you can see it in the belly dance museum. There is an article about it. So if you have these 3D glasses, just go there and you will see these five uh, vintage, well, five um, photos from 1890s from Egypt in 3D. Mm. So that's something I, I really am happy about. Yeah. <laughs> Did you get your old telescope before you got those 3D photos or you had first 3D photos items and then you found the telescope? Yeah, I, I started with the, with the items because when I was uh, searching some postcards, I always found these stereo views and I was thinking like, what is this? Why there are two next to each other? There must be some 3D, but who knows how it works. And, and, and it just go, went away, this, this thought. And after I bought a second or third stereo view, I was thinking, well, maybe I should figure out how it works. So I started to look at it. And I found out that there were these stereoscopes you can use. And, and then I just searched for it and I found a seller here in Belgium, close to my work even. And I was already heavily pregnant, but I still went there and, um, and bought it. And then I was just surprised what I see there. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. So it was just recent. I can imagine your first time looking at the photographs after you found the items and having them for so much a long time like oh that's the discovery indeed indeed, wow. indeed. and if you come to the uh, if you come to the belly dance museum one day I, that's what i want people to experience as well to to have the stereoscope and look into the original ones and see see how the people in 19th century would see see these stereo views so oh. Let's, let's hope it will, this wish will come true. I really hope so. <laughs> well, you know, uh, throughout the interview, I was about to say, like you, you mentioned that the first time you opened the door in Belden's class, you had this like message and you had, I want to do it, I will teach it. Uh, then uh, when you first time got the uh, costume, your costume from Jelena, you right away had a message. You had, oh, I, this will be the item, first item in my collection for the museum. So, you know, I think you are working as astrophysicist for a reason. <laughs> you have some <laughs> messages from the space. <laughs> and let's hope now with this talking about future museum, we can send the message back to space. To <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, you have noticed this because these thoughts I got through my mind. They were really short. Uh, when I entered the room, my first belly dance class, the, the thought that I will teach it one day, it was just fast. It was surprising, but it was there and it went away and then it became true. And the same with the belly dance museum. It just, it was just sharp thought and it disappeared for a while and then it suddenly came through. It's interesting. I just, <laughs> I just let it go and it happens. <laughs> Pretty nice. Well, yeah. uh, letting it go too is your dream about museum. And then pretty much all listeners now also send in the wishes to the space. Yes, let's make it happen. And uh, um, hopefully soon one day it, we will see it in real life, not just in our imaginations. <laughs> Thank you. I hope so too. <laughs> But talking about your online work and input, because you still do share things and you put online and uh, maybe not everything, but it does take time. I imagine how much time it is. And these days you probably have even tighter and busier schedule. And you also just briefly mentioned uh, that about your uh, pregnancy period time. So I'm very curious uh, to ask, how was this uh, very uh, uh, unique, because it's for every woman will be definitely unique uh, period in their life. How did it go for you as a dancer? <laughs> mm. uh, for me, uh, yeah, this is the... Uh... For me, unfortunately, the pregnancy uh, came at the same time when the lockdown uh, came in Belgium. So um, after two months, when I found out that I'm pregnant, there was a lockdown. So actually, uh, I couldn't do my belly dance classes in life with my students. So my belly dance was influenced suddenly by lockdown turning everything into online world and also being pregnant. And uh, being pregnant, as 
everybody has it differently. For me, unfortunately, I was um, throwing up until fifth month. And so it was physically really tough. But yeah, that's how it was. Um, so for me, the belly dance in that time was very much just at home. And I was doing online classes for my students. And because of this uh, being sick, I couldn't dance anytime I wanted. So kind of the lockdown helped me to make the videos and the classes in the time when I felt good uh, in the pregnancy. Uh, after the fifth month, I felt really good. I felt like I can dance on and on and on. Although I have to be honest that just walking up the stairs was difficult because my heart was beating so much. But I was still able to dance. I was still able to connect with dancers, although it was uh, the lockdown and I did some workshops. I started to work on the Belly Dance Museum, the online version. So for me, it was actually the pregnancy plus lockdown, because it's all together, was actually very good in this sense that it worked out. It was not bad for me. It worked out. I was able to find my way through it. Yeah. Uh, the time when I couldn't dance anymore, it was the ninth month that was difficult for me. It was even walking was difficult. So, yeah. But other, until there, it was nice. Yeah. Did uh, dancing uh, feel differently uh, during pregnancy or, or no? Yeah, yeah, it did uh, because uh, the center of weight was shifted because of the belly. So I couldn't. I couldn't be stable as easily. And especially my core muscles were suddenly straightened and my abs were like expanding. So I couldn't hold the core muscles easily. So turns were difficult. Any like arabesques where you really have to tight your core muscles and be stable, that was difficult. But the hips uh, still were moving somehow. Although like doing, for example, Zaki, uh, accents, uh, the vertical accents, that was difficult because the belly was already so stretched that the obliques had troubles to, <laughs> to, to, to work. But um, as a dancer, I still felt good and creative. That, that was the same. Hmm. Yeah. That's great. Well, and uh, uh, now um, your lifestyle changed completely, probably. How do you manage to fit dancing still in your current uh, schedule and lifestyle? <laughs> uh, yes, I can. But I have to say that uh, uh, I'm not still physically all right after, after giving birth. I, I had unfortunately some problem with my joints in my pelvis, so they got completely loose and I couldn't walk for some time. And um, so I'm still working on my core muscles and the pelvic floor and, and the joints need to heal. So that was difficult. So the first month I, did I dance? I think I moved a little bit, but uh, even now I'm not, I'm not healed. It's okay. It's only two months after giving birth. So of course it's too early, but interestingly, what is challenging in dance right now is uh, again, where you need to use your core muscles. So turns, arabesques and all these uh, moving around space, but the, the grow of belly dance, the hips, they're fine. They are, they are still moving very nicely. I feel, of course, I didn't practice for some time, but it feels very good to do belly dance moves. I mean, like hip, hip work. It was very good to do. Uh, but to fit dance in, with, with a newborn is a bit difficult uh, because, uh, <laughs> because the baby needs uh, not only mama, but also a father, papa. And I just need to find the time and especially now when she can sleep for some time by herself, then I just jump here. Like what happened today, my husband took uh, the daughter outside and I had hour and a half and I just rushed to my room here and I was just practicing, practicing until I could and then um, turn back into being mom. <laughs> but uh, it's, it works, it works, it's possible. However, I have immense help from my husband. In um, here in Belgium, it's absolutely normal that uh, father and mother takes care of the baby the same way. 
of course, I am uh, breastfeeding. I, I, I am doing breastfeeding, so that's what my husband cannot do. <laughs> but we just take care of her the same way. He's still going to work, of course. I am on maternity leave. Uh, here in Belgium, it's just three months. But when he comes home, he helps with everything. And it's, it's just normal that even after the woman starts to work again, that, yeah, mama and papa are both parents. So it's not only on the woman, all the work and household and taking care of the baby. So therefore, I think I will have time to dance. And I have the time to dance even now, because it's normal that a father is responsible for the child as well. Mm. Many, uh, many dancers with whom I talked who went through the experience of pregnancy, they were mentioned that after giving a birth, you have this burst of energy that you just get creative uh, ideas uh, and energy and this um, desire to do to create and somehow I don't know I'm pretty sure it's different for everyone because in my mind from practical point of view probably the only thing you want to do in your spare time is sleep <laughs> but I, I was talking to someone who actually went through this experience and they were sharing that there is this burst of energy that you just get this energy from somewhere I don't know for you how you feel this is just two months so maybe it's already happening, maybe it's upcoming, maybe it will be different for you, but uh, how, how you feel about managing and about keeping creative element in your current life? Mm. I think I'm still waiting for the burst of energy. <laughs> uh, because indeed, sleep is very important uh, part of my life uh, right now. Uh, but the creative thing... Um, I think it's still the same. I feel the creative, uh, I feel creative constantly, even now, even in pregnancy. For me, nothing changed. And the creativity is in the mind. And as I have a lot of time to just be with myself, for example, when I breastfeed, there is, there is a space for dreams and, and thoughts. And it's just maybe to finding to letting yourself to do it in those busy, busy times. So for example, when I go for a walk with Emma, then she's sleeping and suddenly I'm in the nature and it just goes into my mind, the, the ideas and, and so on. So the flow is still there. And what I actually think is that some mothers uh, and, and women are trying to scare the new moms that they will not have time to do anything, that everything will completely be upside down, that they will have no time for dancing and so on. I would say, let's not listen to it because you, even five minutes you will find probably in the day and just enjoy it. And it doesn't have to be dancing. It can be just dreaming. And if you are dreaming every day, a little bit, a few minutes, the creativity will still hang around. So I, I believe in this, that just, yeah, <laughs> just go on and, and dream. Because for me, the creativity comes with dreams. Yeah, that's a very nice uh, message and very uplifting and very encouraging <laughs> for all uh, future moms to be. <laughs> well, in... In any case, I know that you probably have so many things on your mind to do and uh, to do today right now and uh, things uh, for yourself, for your family, for your baby. So I don't want to uh, exaggerate and take over too much of your time, but uh, I'm pretty sure, I hope so, that we will do second, third and so on edition of the Baladance Life podcast with you. But in any case, uh, before I ask our final question, I also really want to thank you for do finding time and sharing it with us and agreeing to share this uh, such a beautiful and busy time for you I still finding this hour to share with us and share your experience and stories and uh, uh, knowledge uh, uh, through your discoveries and researches. I know we just scratched the surface, but uh, still thank you so much for this uh, very, very lovely time. <laughs> 
Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it. It's very nice. <laughs> uh, can you tell please our listeners uh, where should they follow you maybe to uh, see more about your activities? Uh, maybe you have any favorite social media where you are more or less active these days? <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I think uh, to follow me, I think it's the best uh, my Instagram uh, because I'm trying to get back from Facebook a little bit because uh, it's a little bit toxic uh, for me, I think, or in general. So I am on Facebook, of course, but Instagram is better for me. Uh, it's uh, there I share a lot, uh, not from my personal life only, but, but from the belly dance museum as well. So in my stories, especially when there's a new item, it's always in the stories. And I would say also my uh, webpage, vadriabellydance.com, uh, because there is uh, the Belly Dance Museum and there are all the articles and I'm really trying every month to bring something new and, and share. So even if you follow just the website, there is always something new, hopefully every month. <laughs> well, there is already a lot of very cool stuff there and I highly encourage everyone to dig and uh... Uh, look because we indeed only scratched the surface during this interview of all your work and uh, input uh, so all links will be in the show notes so all our listeners you know you can easily find them there and connect to our guest and check her website and collection online museum and uh, hope and send uh, send wishes to make this museum be real in real life somewhere sometime in the future soon <laughs> And thank I, you very much. <laughs> and I would love to finish our interview with our traditional question, which I think you know, but it will be very curious to hear from you. And I don't know if you prepared in advance, so you will be improvised your answer right now. But the question is what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again? So you keep doing it for so many years. <laughs> Indeed. For me to fall in love on and on with belly dance is discovery. It's discovery, it's the main topic and it's in the music, discovery of new music, old music, it's discovery of new ways of movement, it's discovery of myself in dance, myself as, uh, as someone who wants to express herself. So this is also plenty of discoveries. Uh, and yeah, so I think that's it, discovering new new things, new new topics to learn about, new places to to go to and learn from past, from history, to folkloric, to modern ballet dance, to, to the music. So I think discovering and exploring is the is the magical uh word <laughs> that's it for today guys but before you go away don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends and if you post it on social media please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast thanks for being with us and i'll see you next week same time same place